0: This morning we continue our series on what it means to be the people of God. So here now from the book of Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Thanks be to God. We are continuing on in our series on what it means to be the people of God. And so we are looking at what it means to be the church, really that's what we are as the church is the people of god and like i said last week i'm kind of trying to do in the latter half of this year kind of small condensed like theologies of some basic christian subjects so we looked at worship already this summer and now we're looking at what it means to be the church we're going to look at what it means to live your life in a daily encounter with christ next we're going to look at mission so these are all things of helping us to understand what does it mean to be a christian and what does the Scriptures say about being a follower of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, what does it mean for us today in this world in 2019? So last week we looked at a first analogy in Scripture about what the people of God is. And that is, what was it? What do you, does anybody remember what we looked at last week? Anybody? I'll just go home if no one's going to remember anything. No, i know how hard it is i barely remember uh, what it was last week and i had to look it up we talked about the fact that the people of god are a temple right and all over throughout scripture there's even in the old testament this push that the temple that the jewish people were uh, called to build for god to dwell in was simply an analogy it was going to be an example of what God intended for his people to be eventually, a dwelling place for the Lord, a place for the Lord's presence to be here on this earth. And so we examined what the temple looked like in the times of ancient Israel and even in Jesus's day. And then we saw how Jesus um, overruled kind of that temple structure and made a new temple, and that is us. And how that relates to us today, that we're not just coming to church. It's not that we become the church when we walk into these walls. This building literally serves only one purpose. What is it? to place to gather so that snow doesn't fall on our heads in the winter, right? And rain doesn't fall on our heads in the summer. And also so that we're not sweating a ton because we've got some air conditioning in here, right? So this building is pretty much just functional. It doesn't serve as a dwelling place for God. And this isn't the place we come to encounter God. God is in your heart, living with you. And you actually are the place where others outside of this building might encounter the presence of God because of God and you. Well, this morning we're looking at a different uh, story, a different idea, a different analogy within Scripture. And I think it might be one of God's favorite analogies in Scripture for His people because He seems to use it a lot. And I wanted to look a little bit at some of His uses for it. And that is that God talks about His relationship with His people like a marriage, like a marriage. And I know that's a very tricky subject, and we tend to think that it's a tricky subject because of modern day times, right? We tend to think it gets trickier and trickier. It used to be simple. Back in the day, marriage was just a simple thing. Those of you who are a little older, has marriage ever been a simple thing? And so it seems to me like the analogy of marriage is a really uh, difficult one for God to use for his relationship with us, except for I think that it's pretty apt. So let's go and look at these scriptures. If you look first at the—if you're just going to go chronologically— earlier than this, you can see there's shadows of marriage relationship and marriage talk within the Old Testament. But I tried to pull out every place where it explicitly talks about God like a marriage. Song of Solomon, if you read that book, you might blush a little bit because what it really is is a series of poems or songs written between a man and a woman, a groom and a bride who are about to be wed and then are wed. And it's their love and intimate relationship and language towards each other and how much they love one another in every way, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And yet, this book has been included in the scriptures, not only to show us what human relationship and intimacy is supposed to look like, but it's also a larger analogy for God's relationship with Israel. And in fact, most all the Jewish rabbis, up through Jesus' time and up till today, would interpret this book as being purely an analogy of the love relationship between God and Israel. And Christian scholars, as we look back at this book, we look at it as an analogy of a love relationship between God's people, the church, and God. Go read Song of Solomon, and then you'll be very uncomfortable. (laughs) Because there's some very, very intimate details in there about these two lovers. And yet this is an analogy between God and his people. Why God uses it, we don't really fully know. And then we go into Isaiah and to the prophets. God says this, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she is cast off, says your God. Isaiah uses it in another analogy later. You shall no more be termed forsaken in your land, no more determined, termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her. Wives in here, wouldn't you love for your husbands to say that your name is, My delight is in her? Right? Nudge that husband next to you if you want to be called that. And your land married and the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder, God, marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. We continue in the prophets and look in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2 says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. He continues on, and in Jeremiah 3, he talks about how Israel has been unfaithful to him, not in terms of like religious devotion, but in terms of marital intimacy. Do you guys understand what that means? He's talking about Israel not being devoted and faithful to God alone. And then you see him in Jeremiah 31 saying that he's going to make a new covenant with them, And this, because of all the language Jeremiah is using with marriage, is not just like kind of a generic covenant, not like a law contract. This is a marriage covenant that he's going to make with Israel. You see how deep this language goes into the scriptures, Ezekiel 16 goes in great depth, that God, he gives this analogy, and this is a great analogy for Israel to be stricken about their own condition, because he calls the people of Israel in Ezekiel 16 16, like a woman who has been battered and left on the side of the road. She's naked, she's cut up, she's ashamed, and God comes upon her and sees her and takes pity upon her, and he takes her up and he washes her. And he clothes her, and then he marries her. What a vivid image, right, to be put into the minds of the people of Israel about their position before the Lord. And it continues to go on. Hosea. If you don't know the story of Hosea, I encourage you to read Hosea and then go find a book on Hosea, any book, I don't care what it is, and just read some details about what the book of Hosea means. It is a weird book. How many of you know what Hosea's premise is? A few of you, not many. Let me inform you. Did you know this? That God calls the prophet Hosea to marry a woman who he knows is going to be unfaithful to him, whose whole livelihood is to spread herself out among others and make money from it. Okay? This whole idea, this whole concept is God is supposed to go marry, or that Hosea is supposed to marry this woman so that his marriage to this woman— by the way, her name's Gomer, kind of a funny name, right? So that Hosea's marriage to Gomer would be a vivid living illustration of what God feels in his marriage to the people of Israel as they continue to worship all the surrounding gods and put up altars and temples to other gods all over their land, the land which God had promised to them and the land in which God had called them to worship him and him alone in dedication and devotion to him. So they're cheating on God. And so he calls Hosea as a prophet to marry a woman who will cheat on him consistently. But here's a beautiful image of Hosea. The wonderful thing is that Gomer has all these children, and many of them it's implied that the children are not Hoseas. They're not Hoseas at all. And their names are given names that are like curses. They're curses upon the people of their choice, that they've chosen to not worship God, so they're not going to be called God's people. So the name that the child is given is not my people. And another name is that, that they are not loved. And so these names are given to these children, and yet God calls Hosea to go and to redeem Gomer out of the lifestyle that she's chosen to clean her up, to bring her back into his household, and to recommit himself to her. And then he renames the children from not my people and not beloved or no mercy to my people and my mercy. And so he redeems the very fruits, the very fruits of her unfaithfulness to be his grace, his love, his mercy for her. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's the gospel. You all should be saying, yeah, that's what Jesus did. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. A little bit late, but that was still good. Hosea is a foreshadowing of the gospel and an analogy of marriage. What a beautiful, beautiful concept. It goes on. Joel 1.8 says, lament like a virgin dressed in sackcloth for the husband of her youth. He's talking about their relationship again. With God. And it's not just the Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus likes this idea. He talks about it. And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And that passage is repeated in Mark, same kind of thing, and it's repeated in Luke. And so you know that it's significant, that it's important. All three of the synoptic Gospels, the Gospels that kind of follow the same general Outline and story. Synoptic means with one eye. Okay? That's the first three Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John. John's the outlier, the weird one. But John even acknowledges this saying in John 3. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this, for this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. And this is language out of John the Baptist, right? John the baptizer, as he's calling for the groom who's going to come forth, Jesus. And so this language about the bride of of God is continuing in, in the ministry of Jesus. And it goes on in Matthew even later. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. You guys remember this parable? Do you remember this parable? Simultaneously in this parable, we are the bride, and we are the guests. We are the guests. And so there's this weird thing going on in this parable where there's like a double analogy, which is really a bad way to use analogies, but God's the one doing it, so you can't really call him on it or criticize him. But here's this analogy of God with his people that uses marriage and uses language of a bride and a groom. Matthew 25, we see the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Anybody remember this one? What's this one about? Bert, what's this one about? Lamp. It's about lamps. Well, that's, yeah, it's on the surface, but what's, <laughs> what's the meaning? Be prepared for him. Be prepared for what? His return. Jesus, in this parable, is reminding us that he's going to go away. He's going to die, he's going to resurrect, he's going to ascend to heaven. And so he's not going to be with his people for a while. He's going to go away like a bridegroom who is away and preparing for his wedding day. And then there's a whole bunch of bridesmaids who are waiting for that wedding day, right? And they're celebrating, and ten of them are there. And each of them carefully keeps their lamps trimmed and oil put in their lamps so that they're ready for any day the bridegroom to come back and for the wedding festivities to happen. But what happens in the parable? One of the women or a few of the women don't prepare well. And a day comes back when the bridegroom comes, and they're not ready. He comes back in the dead of night, and they need their lamps, and yet they don't have oil, and they haven't trimmed it properly, and they don't know exactly how to follow after the bridegroom. And so they're kind of left out because they weren't prepared. And Jesus is giving this as a warning to be prepared for his return at any moment. He's using a marriage analogy. It's not over yet. We've got more passages. I told them, we can't have the computer fail this morning because like 50% of my sermon is text, so. And I was not going to memorize all these scriptures. 2 Corinthians 11 says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I promise you, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. For I promised you in marriage to one husband. Who's that? Jesus. To present you as chaste virgin to Christ. To present you as pure to Christ. In Ephesians, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This passage goes on and talks about how men and women are to be mutually submissive to one another and how a love relationship in marriage and Christianity is supposed to happen. And we have used the passage about the analogy of Jesus and being the head of the church and all this other stuff to talk a lot about the patriarchy of the church and how men are to be the head over the women and we're to like lord it over them, right? This is what we have often done. But listen to the language. Listen to the language. The language is that Jesus laid his life down for the church. It's a higher calling to the men to surrender, to sacrifice, to submit, even when your wife is wrong, because was the church right when Jesus sacrificed himself for her? No. Not as a way to lord it over, but to save, to groom, to love, to cherish, to hold, to devote, to lead with, to partner with. That's the image. That's the idea. In marriages, we often use this passage during ceremonies, and we talk a lot about the—it calls the women to surrender. But it's a harder call on the men. You're supposed to die for your wife. It doesn't say anything about the wife dying for you marriage used as an analogy for what God did for us revelation 19 revelation all over the place is uses the language of marriage and uses this image of marriage talking about God and his church Jesus and his bride and this is the passage part of the passage from today let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready Again, a mixing of analogies, so it's really weird. But it's talking about the day in which we will come before the Lord and where our marriage will be made official and will be united before all all the witnesses of creation for all eternity. Revelation goes on. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Did you know that you are not meant to live in heaven? You are meant and you were created as a mere material creature to live here in this material creation. And in the end, God is going to bring his rule in heaven down to earth in a new city, the new Jerusalem. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sound familiar? We might pray that prayer every week. And even the city itself is like a bride adorned for God. Finally, maybe not finally, we've got another passage after this. Come and I will show you the bride and the wife of the lamb. And again in Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come and let everyone who hears say, come and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let everyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift say, come. Over and over and over again, the people of God are talked about as being like a bride for God. I already talked a little bit about why, how this is not an easy illustration because marriage has been messed up for a really long time. And if you think that marriage today, because of things going on in our culture, has messed up what your simple knowledge of marriage is, I challenge you to just go back and read Genesis when all of a sudden the patriarchs of the faith are marrying like five, six different women, and it gives, you know, every single daytime soap opera a run for the money and the amount of drama that comes from the complications and the messy marriages that are in that Old Testament stories. It has been messy for a long time. Marriage isn't easy. And why is marriage not easy? Does anybody know why marriage isn't easy? Because we are sinners. And when one sinner marries another sinner, what tends to happen? More sin and and hurt and pain, right? Difficulty, conflict tends to come when you bring two people who are sinners together. Guess what? That's the same reason why the church sometimes is a difficult place to come and be a part of. We don't get that today. In our society today, you have a conflict with somebody else in the church. Guess where you go? the church down the street where the pastor preaches better. Because it's easier that way. And yet the church is not called to be that. The church is called to live out their relationship of reconciliation with God in their relationships with sinners in this world so that we might be examples of his reconciliation. And so at all costs, we are to seek forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation with others within our community. Marriage is messy. Marriage is difficult. But I wanted to take a reason, a couple of points, a couple of reasons why I think God uses this analogy to talk about His people. The first thing is is that marriage is intimate. Can you guys think of a relationship more intimate than marriage? Or at least what marriage is supposed to be, right? We, we have all this baggage with marriage. Two people coming together in a relationship of not only physical love, but emotional, spiritual bonding, where two become one, as the scripture says. Is there anything more intimate, any relationship more intimate than that? Not really. And so, great, it's perfect. Maybe, maybe the one that is close to it is what? Children, parents to children. And we'll see. That, that illustration is also used of God and his people. But there's not much more intimate than the love relationship between a, a, a spouse pair, a couple, a husband and his wife, or a wife and her husband. And so what God is telling us when he tells us that we are his bride is that he desires that same kind of intimate relationship with you. That he desires that same kind of closeness and bondedness and oneness that you're supposed to have in a marriage with you. Let that just sink in and blow your mind for a second. Think about all we know of this universe and how vast it is, how great it is, how, how amazing and how unfathomable the reaches of the heavens are. And we're just one little speck on a one little blue dot, And yet God has used this analogy to tell you that He loves you so much He wants to be bonded with you like a husband and wife are bonded in marriage. What an amazing, amazing thought. Maybe an uncomfortable thought. Some of us might be like, I don't want that relationship with you, God. (laughs) Right? But God is calling us into that intimacy. The second thing I think, and I think this is super important, I think God knows what he's doing when he's using this analogy, is that marriage is difficult and messy. Marriage is difficult and messy. If you have been married or you are married currently and you agree with this statement, I just want to see your hand real quick. My wife's not in here. She would put two hands up. (laughs) Marriage is a difficult thing. Oh, she just walked in. Did you put two hands up out there? Marriage is messy and difficult. You can get in fights and arguments. You can begin to be angry with each other and, and, and have conflict. And you can bear resentments against one another. Because when you bring two lives in such close contact, it's, it's almost impossible to avoid your sins butting up against each other and having to learn how to deal with that and forgive and love and to move forward in that. And I think God knew that his relationship with us was going to be quite messy and difficult for him. Right? And so it's a perfect analogy. And over and over and over again we see within the scriptures, and especially when God uses the analogy of a bride and groom for himself with Israel or himself with us, it's always with the point and the purpose eventually of him redeeming his people. Of him re- invigorating the, the covenant, the commitment that is made together, and him renewing the bride so that she might be able to be in love and intimacy with him once again. And so we see God's mercy and God's grace come out even in this analogy of the bride. And the last thing is that marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a commitment. You can't enter into marriage lightly. And if I do a wedding, I want to have some part of being a part of their relationship ahead of time, at least going through doing some pastoral counseling with them to get to know them, to be able to see whether or not they've done the serious work that's needed ahead of time to understand the commitment they're undertaking and to not enter into it lightly. There's been a few times where I've been on the edge of whether I wanted to do a wedding and fortunately, I've never had to say I'm not going to do that wedding. But there's been some times where in that counseling, I've been like, I don't know if you guys are ready for this commitment. And I've had to bring them through that and get them to the point where they were ready for the commitment. Marriage is a commitment. You commit to one another. Now, it's not just God making promises towards us. Does a marriage work if only one person up there stands and takes vows? No. Does a marriage work when only one person lives those vows out throughout the marriage? No. It needs both parties to pull their weight, to do their part in the relationship. And so in that same way, God is calling you into a commitment, into a relationship with him where you will live out your part of the relationship, where you will be committed and devoted to him and him alone, and you will live your life in devotion and love for him as he has shown you you that he already has done for you in jesus on the cross so we're called to be the bride of christ and in this we're called to live in a life of intimacy with god we're called to get over the difficult and messy parts of our relationship where where it becomes conflict and it becomes all kinds of anger and pain sometimes we feel that and we're angry at god right And we we come back together, and we love one another despite that, and we live up to the vows and the commitments we've made. That's what we are called towards, as a marriage relationship with God. Now, I want to say one last thing before we move on. Some of you have experienced divorce. This is why I've talked about marriage being difficult and messy, and why I've talked about needing two sides of a marriage. Sometimes marriages don't work out in our world, right? Right? and it's because one person or maybe both persons don't pull their weight, they're part of the relationship. But there's redemption still. There's still redemption even in that, and we recognize that in the church, that God can redeem all circumstances and all things. And so if you're living in a life where you're feeling shame or guilt about your marriage, I, I wanna say to you this morning, don't feel that way. Surrender that to God and ask God to bring redemption through whatever process you've been in in marriage, and to Have God teach you about what it means to have a faithful partnership by his relationship coming into your life as a groom is to a bride. Let him show you what intimacy, love, and devotion truly is by him loving and being devoted to you. Let us come. Let us affirm our faith together now in the Apostles' Creed and affirm what God has done for us. Friends, be encouraged that God has shown intimate love and care for you, that he wants to be in a relationship with you that is like marriage, that will be everlasting as he fulfills his covenant promises to you. So go and be people who fulfill your covenant promises to God. And may God bless you as his bride, that you might be adorned in pure white in this world, so that people might see you and see your groom. Amen.